Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. Now, it is important when we deal with God's word that we, we, we understand a couple things and some guidelines. It's the first line in your notes, okay? It is important that we do not superimpose superimpose ourselves or current events onto the scriptures. It is important we do not superimpose ourselves or current events onto the scriptures. Let's go to your next line. This leads to misinterpretation and confusion. Excuse me, this leads to misinterpretation and confusion. Now, here's what I mean. Um, Whenever anybody in our culture goes and watches a movie, you know, and when you watch Batman and have arguments about before the service if it was a good movie or not, you know, um, <laughs> which happened today. Um, when you look at that, typically what happens is people think when they're watching the movie, they kind of put themselves in the role of the main character. And they kind of live from the main character because we all think we're the star of our own life movie. People do the same thing with the Bible. They read a story and they put themselves in, they replace the main a person that the, the, the scripture is talking about with themselves and this becomes dangerous and let me give you an example this is one that's been used before but I think it really applies very well <clears throat> so I'm going to um, I'm, I'm gonna just going to use it here again today so everybody knows the story of David and Goliath I don't have to repeat that one everybody understands that um, now in our culture uh, when we say David and Goliath it's typically in a sports reference right like we're in the middle of March Madness and the number 15 seed just beat all these you know higher ranked seeds these guys that don't have any you know well well recruited highly touted players beat these schools with all these five-star blue chip athletes and it's like the little school beat the big school and when the underdog wins they go David and Goliath but when Christian people read this and and this particular story what they do is they think of themselves as David And they think of whatever obstacle or problem or issue that they're facing or they think they're facing, they make that thing be Goliath. Now, I am going to crush some of the way you guys read the Bible today. This is going to be a good thing, but it might be painful, so just brace. I'm going to address everyone directly. Instead of saying we, I'm going to say you. And this, it's to every one of us, including me, as if I'm looking in the mirror. Okay? Here we go. Ready? You are not David. You're not David. Even if your name is David, your middle name or your last name, or if it's some French version, David or whatever, you ain't him. You ain't David. Got that? You're not David. You are not King David. And your issue that you're facing is not Goliath. That thing does, it's not a nine foot tall man with a spear that's got a bigger head than you have on your shoulders that weighs more than you and, a, and the sword that can't be managed by a normal-sized human being, that's not you. Because if we start to superimpose ourself and our problem onto it, we start making up really wild theology. Like, what did David have? Five smooth stones. He had five smooth stones. So you know what that means? If you're jobless right now and your giant is your unemployment, all you need is five scriptures. 
touch your neighbor and say five scriptures, five scriptures, five scriptures, five scriptures, five scriptures. And we high five people, right? And be like, your giant's going to fall. Your giant's going to fall. And people start jumping, my giant's going to fall, right? And we do all that stuff. And, and, we, we, and we put ourselves in the middle of it. And then we create confusion because that person thinks that if they just visualize their unemployment as a giant and they just say out loud these five scriptures because he had five stones, it somehow they picture the, the words or stones and hits their unemployment and it falls and now they're employed. Yay! But what happens when it takes six months to find another job? What happens when it takes longer to recover from the illness? What happens when the issue that you're facing might be something you have to deal with for the foreseeable future of your life? Did the giant not fall? Did your five stones not work? Those five smooth scriptures that you kept spitting out, Jesus wept was one of them because it's the shortest one. John 3, 16, I got that one down. I keep slinging scripture stones at my unemployment. And what, what happens? Nothing. Why? Because we put, we superimposed ourself and our issue onto the scripture, and that's not what we're supposed to be doing. Because if we do that, we come up with some crazy theology, and a lot of the crazy stuff that you hear today, name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, spit it, and grip it, all that kind of stuff comes from superimposing our scenario onto the scripture. We're not supposed to take our scenario and put it on the scripture. We're supposed to read the Bible for what it says and draw out the truth and then allow the spirit of God to show us how those truths apply to us. Next on your notes, we need to read scripture and take it for what it says, not for what we want it to say. We'll get to that at the end a little bit more clearly, but not for what we want it to say. We need to see and understand the principles and character of God revealed in scripture and then ask God to take those principles that are revealed there, things about his character, truths about, um, about his direction and how we can apply it. And we're going to do that in real time today. Okay? So we're going to talk about King Asa. Now, um, so you might be thinking, well, at least I was, um, when did all these kings start for God's people? This is not how God designed his nation to run. He designed his nation originally to be a theocracy, which means basically God is the king. God is the leader. He's the one. There's not a man that's in charge. It's all God. He communicated to his people through the prophets, and he handled day-to-day -day problems that needed to be settled through judges, and sometimes the, the, the prophet was the judge. In this particular case, when Israel started to get tired of not having a king, they wanted a physical person. They wanted a physical person that they could look to. When they were doing this, um, and when they wanted that, the, the prophet God was using to speak to them was Samuel. <clears throat> and Samuel, his issue, um, or his issue was that he was getting old. And he would travel from tribe to tribe, town to town, area to area, and he would set up like a whole court everywhere he went. If you got a problem, Samuel's here. He's going to be here every night for the next three weeks. 
Y'all come through, get on the docket here. He's going to hear your case, and he's going to line it out. That's how God designed it to run. But the people of Israel didn't like that, started getting tired of it. So Samuel decides that he needs some help, and he appoints his sons to be judges with him. The only problem was his sons were some foul folks, greedy, took bribes, selfish, didn't care about justice being done, only cared about themselves and padding their pockets. And so he took these, three, these sons with him, and they were not doing a good job. And the people of Israel said, hey, maybe this is a good opportunity that we could kind of step off this system we don't like of not having a guy. We, we, we really want that, and this is not really going well with Samuel. He's got all these kids of his, and they're not really good. So maybe we can use this as a way to maybe switch systems. They go to Samuel and say, hey, we want to not operate on this system anymore. And Samuel's like, look, this is a bad idea. And they say no, and they push him. We want, we want this, we want this, we want this. And so Samuel goes back to God, 1 Samuel 8, 6 through 9. And he says this, Samuel was displeased with their request and went to the Lord for guidance. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for they're rejecting me, not you. Ever since, or they don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed other gods. And now they're giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but solemnly warn them about the way a king will rule over them. Samuel goes back to the people and says, hey, God says you can have your king, but this is not going to go well. It's not going to operate well. He's going to put you guys into slavery. You guys are going to have to work for him. You're going to have to build, um, you're going to build uh, you know, military equipment, shield, swords, all this stuff. You're going to do all this stuff, and it is not going to be fun. The requirements God has for you are these, but you're going to have to put all these other things and whatever these kings dream up, dream up, you're going to have to do those on top of it. This is not going to go well. Here's how they responded for Samuel 8, 19 through 20. But the people refused to listen to Samuel's warning. Even so, we still want a king, they said. We want to be like the nations around us. Our king will judge us and lead us into battle. They wanted what? <clears throat> to be like everybody else. They despised their uniqueness. They despised the thing that set them apart. They began to look around at all the other nations and hear the stories and, oh, you guys get to do what? We don't get to do that. Y'all don't have to be married. Y'all can just go fool around and it's kind of like acts, acts of worship to your God, bro. <laughs> Woo, this sounds pretty good. Wait a minute, you don't have to bring certain portions of what you own and give it at the temple a few times a year? Nope. Wow. And you guys have a king? You actually know who your king is? You can see him, talk to him? Yeah. We want that. And they despise the thing that made them unique. So they get their first king, and the first king's name was? Anybody? Saul? That's right. Saul was his name. 
And the second king was David. Wrong. I thought the same thing. David was not the second king. He was the third. The second one, Saul, wanted to make sure his bloodline stayed on the throne. And so he assigned, even though that God had anointed someone else, he stood up and assigned his son, Ashibosheth. I'm going to call him Ishbo, like a good redneck, because there's a lot of H's in that name from here on forward. But I'm going to, Ishibosheth, um, Ishbo, it's a lot easier for me. I don't know about you, but it's just a lot easier. So Ishbo gets in there, and he is at odds with David. Because everybody knows David's supposed to be the next king. But the other king put his son in there. And I was like, oh, seven years. I think it was seven years. They warred back and forth over and over again at war with each other. And they finally lost the war. But in the middle of that war, the nation of Israel split into two pieces. The northern part was Israel. And the bottom part was Judah. Next on your notes, the nation of Israel was divided into two regions during Ishbo's reign, Israel and Judah. Israel and Judah. It's kind of like North Carolina and South Carolina. Different names, same thing. North Dakota, South Dakota, different names, same thing. China, California, different names, but kind of the same thing. <sighs> Snuck that with them, we're ending up. Paul was laughing until I said that. Sorry, Paul. <clears throat> um, so they, it only took one king. One king. They got through one reign of one king before the nation split in half. This is not going well. Splits in half. Ishbo's on the north, David's at the south, and they wore it out after several years. David wins, and he becomes the king of Israel and Judah. Solomon, his son, becomes the king of Israel and Judah. And after that point, they divvied off and had their own kings. Judah had 20 of them before the Babylonian captivity. 20 different kings. Israel had 19 before they were overrun by the Assyrians. Of the 19 kings of Israel... Do you know many, how many of them, quote-unquote, did right in the sight of God? None. And of the 20 kings of Judah, six did right. Two of them started off right and ended up wicked, and all the rest were just wicked all the way through. I would say... That when Israel asked for a king, it was a failed experiment. And God said, this is the wrong thing, but you don't keep asking me for it, so I'm going to give it to you, and it's not going to go well, so you will see generations down the line, I should have listened to God. At that point of the, of the story, of the historical account of what's happening here, there's a application that we can draw and it's next to your notes I label it application number one trying to be like those who don't follow God always leads to destruction why did they do this they wanted to be like everybody else the people that weren't serving God and what did we learn what's the principle we pull, we pull out of that is America Israel nope 
Nope, nope. Is it Judah? Nope. We're a nation divided. Part of it's Israel, part of it's Judah. Stop. Not it. Don't superimpose what we're going through on the scripture. Let it be what it's going to be and what God's designed it to be. What it's telling us is that if we as believers are going to try to follow other people besides that are not following God, it's going to lead in destruction. Are you saying, Matt, that my line of family is going to end? No. What's gonna, what, what could it destroy if I try to follow the, the ways of people who don't follow God? I could destroy your peace, destroy your integrity, destroy your mind, destroy your future. A lot of stuff, a lot of destruction comes from following others who are not like God. But even First Peter 2, 9, Peter talks to Gentile believers and all the believers in Christ directly and says, you are not like that. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. You are not supposed to, as a believer in Christ, envy all the things that the people out there get to do. You're not supposed to look at them and be like, I wish I didn't have that restriction on my life. I wish I didn't have to be disciplined in that area of my life. How come these guys can get fall on their behind drunk and I can't? How come these guys can do all this stuff and get up and go to work after the weekend's done and I'm the one supposed to not be doing this thing, these things? How come I'm not supposed to be doing that with him, doing that with her, doing that in these scenarios? I have these restrictions on me, but they don't have those things. And if you are operating from that point, your heart is going to drift. But my friend, when you do that, it's the equivalent of you being in a billionaire family with zero wants, desiring to be homeless. When you are with God, you have everything. Everything. Why would I reject all of that? Because I want to be like everybody else. No. They're looking for the peace that you have. They're looking for the joy that you have. They're looking to find the fulfillment that you found in Christ. All of the things they're trying is to get to the point you're already at. Why would you spit in the face of the God who promises you everything, eternity with him, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control? Why in the world would you try to run out and, and serve something else and serve another type of lifestyle that pulls you away from those things? Because I have millions of stories that we can go through of people who did that exact same thing and they are chalked full of regret. Don't kick your trillionaire, bazillionaire, whatever's above trillionaire, dad in the shin, spit in his face and say, God, I'm out of here because I want to be like everybody else. Why would you walk away from everything and trade it for nothing so that the people around you could look and be like, I'm like them? No. You're unique. You're a royal priesthood. You're called to be set apart, to shine light in the dark place, not to cover up your light so you can be dark like everybody else. <clears throat> Let's go back to the story here. King Asa comes along, and he is the third king of Judah after Solomon. 
two guys before him acted a fool, totally wicked. And they not only did Israel and Judah set up a person as a king, they wanted a man that they could look to. That's a humanity problem, because that exists today, by the way. They wanted a man they could look to. And then once they followed that lead, they went, what else you guys got over there? Oh, you worship other gods? Not the one that's listed here? What do you get to do with him? And they begin to set up shrines and idols and altars to all these pagan gods. <clears throat> Asa comes along because the last, two, the last two kings were full on in the pagan world. They brought them right into the land of Israel and the land of Judah, and they were worshiping all kinds of crazy stuff. Second Chronicles 14, 2 through 5. Let's see what Asa does. Asa did what was pleasing and good in the sight of the Lord his God. He removed the foreign altars and the pagan shrines. He smashed the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah poles. He commanded the people of Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and to obey his law and his commands. Asa also removed the pagan shrines as well as the incense altars from every one of Judah's towns. So Asa's kingdom enjoyed a period of peace. So he does what's right, tears down all these shrines and all these altars. Says we're going to get rid of all this stuff because this is not the God we're supposed to be worshiping. This is not the God of our ancestors. And he attacks all of these pagan gods and there's two big ones. Baal it's spelled B-A-A-L, but it sounds like B-A-I-L, like in English, bail. Like I'm out on bail. I'm not, but you get to, let me keep going. Bail, and so who was Baal? Next, the uh, first couple dots here in your, um, in your notes. The pag he was the pagan god of prosperity. The pagan god of prosperity. Next line, typically represented as a bull-shaped idol made of bronze or bronze color. <clears throat> and then the next one, Baal was used as the basis for other gods, including the Greek pagan gods, Zeus and Jupiter. Over time, they just morphed into another name. That was Baal. He was the big guy. Another big one, Asherah. First line, the next line in your notes, she was believed to be Baal's mother and the goddess of fertility, sensuality and sex she was believed to be Baal's mother and the goddess of fertility sensuality and sex next line Asherah poles poles like the North Pole and South Pole Asherah poles were made as idol statues in her honor and were placed on physically elevated locations they called them high places like mountains and things and high hills the last one, they were either made of wood or her image was carved into trees as a form of worship to her. They would actually find a tree on a very tall mountain and they would cut all the branches off, like just straight across the trunk. All the branches, all the leaves, any fruit, anything would fall off and it looked like this tree just had these roots and just stopped right there. And they would carve her face into it as a form of idol worship to Asherah. Baal, he is signified as God of prosperity. Asherah, the God of sex and sensuality. 
uh, next application in your notes. Baal and Asherah are still being worshipped today. What do you mean, Matt? I didn't see no tree cut like that with an idol face in it. Nope, you didn't. I didn't see like a bull on figurine that was Baal that people are kneeling down to and worship. No, you didn't. But the two things that mark Americans' number one pursuit are what? Prosperity, sexual identity. After a while, seeing all the things that are going on in our culture and how crazy it is that it seems like even in schools, they're trying to indoctrinate kids with, 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 with sex at a younger and younger age. And it seems like all of this stuff is being presented routinely over and over at a younger and younger age. I, would just, I, I was bewildered when I would hear the stories. Like, what's going on? Why is this happening? This doesn't make any sense. How is this right to anybody? This is not moral. This is not, this is not decent or anything. It's not that at all. So what is it with these people? And then, it, and then I, I believe I figured it out. The Spirit of God showed me something. It's a religion. They're worshiping Baal and Asherah without calling it Baal and Asherah. That's the only thing that makes sense to me. Why would you act in these depraved ways and be so committed to it that I would just fight publicly for all these things? It's a religion. It's a false religion. It's a pagan way of worship, but it's a religion. Those two gods are still being worshipped today. You see how even the story that was, that was captured almost 2,900 years ago still is teaching us something today without us putting ourselves in the story as Asa. See what I mean? Let's go back to the story. Asa is um, king, and he has a long period of time that's peace and prosperous. Uh, Serge, if you're looking for that ring, I think it's that monitor back there if you want to kill number three. <clears throat> um, there's an army that comes up from, there's an army that comes up from e uh, Egypt. One of the leaders comes through. And as they approach, Asa realizes quickly that he is drastically outnumbered. The army from Egypt came up and was one million people strong. He had just over 300,000 warriors. He was... He was outnumbered almost three to one. And here's what happens. He goes out and he defeats the army because he goes to God and asks him, what should I do? And God says, go meet them in battle. I'm going to be with you. And he goes out there and even being outnumbered, he turns back the Egyptian army and defeats them. And as he's coming back into town, a prophet of God meets him, and here's what happens. Second Chronicles 15, 1 through 8. Then the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, son of Oded, and he went out to meet King Asa as he was returning from the battle. Listen to me, Asa, he shouted. Listen, all you people of Judah and Benjamin. The Lord will stay with you as long as you stay with him. 
Whenever you seek him, you will find him. But if you abandon him, he will abandon you. For a long time, Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach them, and without the law to instruct them. But whenever they were in trouble and turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, um, and sought him out, they found him. During those dark times, it was not safe to travel. Problems troubled people of every land, nation fought against nation, and city against city, for God was troubling them with every kind of problem. But as for you, be strong and courageous, for your work will be rewarded. When Asa heard this message from Azariah the prophet, he took courage and removed the detestable idols from the land of Judah and Benjamin, which he was also presiding over, and in the towns that he had captured along the hill country of Ephraim. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, which stood in front of the entry room of the Lord's temple. So here's where I'm going to ask you for a little bit of participation. That's why I left blank lines on your notes. And you can just shout out to me here if you, if you think of something. Is there something in that passage we just read, without superimposing ourselves onto the scripture, is there something right there that you say is a truth or a character point of God that we can grab that applies to us today? Anybody? Doesn't matter if you're right or wrong, this is not a pop quiz, just. Anybody? Right, this is a principle uh, in other places in scripture. Uh, he will never leave you or forsake you. This is a principle that we can take for us. That's the one you can write down. Anybody else? Nailed it. No matter how far you wander away from God, there is grace for you. Why? Because they did all kinds of detestable things that God told them not to do and they would not work. They did them anyway and they got to the point where they realized it and went back to him and he took them back. Grace is available for you. Here's another one that I thought of in here as well. Um, when you search for him, you will find him. If you're really are looking for God, you're really looking to find him, you're really looking for salvation, you're really looking for peace, you're really looking for joy, you're really looking for fulfillment, and you go to him instead of everything else, you're going to find him. He's not playing cat and mouse with you. He's not playing this game of chess with you. He's not playing hide and seek with you. He doesn't dangle a carrot in front of you to try to get you to keep coming his way and to keep getting further and further away to keep you coming. No, he wants to be found by you. Why? Because he needs you? No, because it's the best thing for you, and that is more love than you'll ever experience from a human being. <clears throat> All right, those are good things to pull out. Without putting our situation on the scripture, we pull out and see the principles that, re that resonate with us, that are applicable to us. Yes, God does allow problems to happen. 
There is this false idea that if I serve God, everything's going to smooth out for me. Uh-uh. It may get worse in some way. Right. Sometimes he uses those to drive him back, drive us back to him. He uses those problems. The most creative, powerful being uses those things to navigate our hearts back to him. You're exactly on the right path. Okay? This is really good. Let's go back to the story. Second Chronicles 15, 9. We'll read verse 9, then we'll move to verses 12 through 16. Then Asa called together all the people of Judah and Benjamin, along with the people of Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon, who had settled among them. I thought this was interesting. For many from Israel had moved to Judah during Asa's reign when they saw that the Lord his God was with them. They picked up and moved out of Israel. I know our tribe and family is here, but God's down there, so I'm going down there. Let's go to verse 12. Then they entered into covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, with all their heart and soul. They agreed that anyone who refused to seek the Lord, the God of Israel, be put to death, whether young or old, man or woman. They shouted their oath of loyalty to the Lord with the trumpets, blaring and uh, with ram's horns sounding. All in Judah were happy about this covenant, for they had entered into it with their, with their heart. They earnestly sought after God and found him, and the Lord gave them rest from their enemies on every side. King Asa even deposed his grandmother, Makah, from her position as queen mother because she made an obscene Asherah pole. He cut down her obscene pole, broke it up, and burned it in the Kidron Valley. It's a couple of application points I want to draw our attention to in this passage as well. Number four. Seek God with your entire heart and soul. <clears throat> Seek God with your entire heart and soul. What does that mean to seek God with your entire heart and soul? What does that mean to be, because um, I hear that a lot. I'm gonna, I am going want to love God with my whole heart. I want to give him my whole soul. I want to give him everything. I want to give him everything. How do I give him everything? You start by not keeping one foot running with the people who are outside of God's will and one foot in the place that's trying to follow God. Neither one of those things will work. They won't. That's... What scripture actually refers to as being lukewarm. Kind of in, kind of out. If this God thing don't work, I still got my boys I can run with. If this whole thing about following him, loving Jesus doesn't work out, I got this other girl I can always default to. That is not with your whole heart. Number Application number five will give us some clarity on this. Put to death anything that would try and draw your affection away from God. Put to death anything that would try to draw your affection away from God. These guys are putting people to death. That is not what you're supposed to be doing. I know there's some people that you're like, I would kill that fool if he said that one more time. Don't, do not do that. That's wrong. But we can put to death some desires and affections that are outside of what God wants for us. These guys are showing us the example. Hey, we're not letting anything live around here that is not submitted to God. 
what do we allow to live here that's not submitted to God? Let me just walk right up into your wheelhouse here tonight. Married folks, don't allow those flirtations from that person that worked to continue. Put an end to it. Matt, we can't even be friends? Mm-mm. That girl know you're married? That guy know you're married? And they still keep coming through and trying to bat those little eyes or flex when they walk by you or whatever, you know what I mean, to try to get your attention? They always take the long way to the break room because they just want to walk by your desk? They always message you in the morning to figure out what's going on even though they have access to the same files you do? Man, I can't even just be friend. No. Uh-uh. Why? Because you're allowing something that would give you an opportunity to not submit to God to live in you. Put it to death. Not the person. The relationship. Uh-uh. Keep walking. Don't walk by here no more. And put some clothes on that fit next time. And brush your teeth. Um, okay. That was married, folks. Men of all ages, cut yourself off from access to pornography. kind of tense in here for a second why do I bring this up because the statistics that I just read of how many hours are streamed of pornography and how mo the ma vast majority of it is to young men is astounding it is an epidemic that we're not going to see the results of for some time women Refuse to let the thoughts of envy and comparison move into a separate bedroom of your mind to become a permanent resident. Refuse to let the thoughts of envy and comparison move into the spare bedroom of your mind and become a permanent resident. <laughs> Put that thing to death. Young people, youth that are in the building don't let your destructive passions control you what's a destructive passion anything that is opposite of what God instructs you to do and how to live you know how many adults will sit in this room and tell you when I was a kid I should have listened if there's not one in, the, in, in any of these green chairs you can come talk to this one because I've had many of those moments. Older folks, don't grow weary in doing the right thing. I've held on for so long. I've prayed for a decade. I've believed and I've done this and nothing happened and I'm tired of this. Don't let that live in you. Anything that would draw your affection away the same way that they threatened to put anything that lived in their area to death, do not let anything reside in here that would cause you to submit to anything except for Almighty God. Application number six from that same passage. Lead your family to do right before God. I don't know about you, but there's very little chance I was walking into my grandmother's house and telling her that she couldn't do anything. Asa walks up and says, hey, Grandma, uh, you're no longer going to be considered the queen mother because uh, you're not even following God. 
we don't do that here. I'm cutting this thing down and getting rid of it. Led his own family. Now, look, I grew up like much y'all did, um, who are in my general age range, late 20s. Um, when you, <laughs> laughing at me. Um, much of y'all, if you'd have walked in and told your grandma, you can't do that no more because God's not happy with you, you would need to duck right after that because the shoe would have been coming right across the thing for you. Um, I don't think that disrespect was tolerated in their culture either. So for him to walk in and do that, he had to be absolutely sure. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. We cannot honor this in a place where we're trying to honor God. Families, parents, Moms, dads, guardians, what, fill in the blank. If you're overseeing a family, draw the lines. We don't do that here. That's not going to fly here. We can't let that continue here in a loving, gracious, compassionate way, but hold the line. Why? In this house, we are going to submit to one thing, and that is God. Now, I can't force you to do it. But I can lead you, I can lead you to the water. I can't make you drink. But I'm not going to let you wander out in the desert and pant and be desperate for thirst. So you'll just wander up to anything. I'm going to show you where the well of life is. And you drink this water, you're not going to thirst like you thirst with the rest of these things again. Draw your lines. Lead your family to do right before God. That was number six. Let's go back to the story here. Kind of takes an interesting turn. Ace is doing really good. Really great. Love this. Going to name somebody's child Asa <laughs> in honor of this. But look what happens. Second Chronicles 16, 1 through 3, and then 7 through 9. In the 36th year of Asa's reign, King Basha of Israel invaded Judah. Think about that for a second. The northern kingdom of Israel is invading the southern kingdom of Judah. He's attacking his own folks. They invaded Judah and fortified Ramah in order to prevent anyone from entering or leaving King Asa's territory in Judah. Basically surrounded him. Asa responded by removing the silver and gold from the treasuries of the temple of the Lord in the royal palace. He sent it to King Ben-Hadad of Aram, who was ruling in Damascus, along with this message. Let there be a treaty between you and me like the one, your father, like the one between your father and my father. See, I'm sending you silver and gold. Break your treaty with the king of Basha of Israel so he will leave me alone. Let's pause right there king of Israel wants to come and attack the king of Judah, but before he attacks, he wants to cut off all his supplies in or out. So he makes a deal with this king Ben-Hadad of Aram, says, hey, you kind of watch that road, don't let nobody go in and out there. And instead of going back to God, which is what Asa did every other time, he decides, I got this one. And he goes and makes his own deal and says, hey, he might have given you this much gold and silver. Why don't you just break that treaty with him and I'll give you 
this much gold and silver just because I want to be left alone. Let's keep going, verse 7. At that time, Haniah the seer, which is another word for prophet, came to King Asa and told him, because you have put your trust in the king of Aram instead of the Lord your God, you missed your chance to destroy the army of the king of Aram. Don't you remember what happened to the Ethiopians and the Libyans and their vast army with all of their chariots and charioteers? At that time, you relied on the Lord, and he handed them over to you. The eyes of the Lord searched the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. What a fool you have been. From now on, you will be at war. Application number seven. There will always be a temptation to trust ourselves and our own abilities. There will always be an attempt, in a temptation, to trust ourselves and our own abilities. <clears throat> but number eight is one of my favorite ones. Application number eight, God is looking to strengthen people who are committed to him. I almost missed that one. I was going through my notes last night and was like, wait, I missed that one. The eyes of the Lord searched the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. That is not something that he's saying specifically to the king. He's not saying that he's looking for somebody in Israel. He's not saying any of that. He is making a general statement, and we fall under the general category. The eyes of the Lord searched the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. This does not mean he automatically solves your problem. This does not mean that he strikes down the giant of unemployment by giving you another job right away. It does not mean that the sickness is immediately solved. It does not mean that whatever struggle that you're dealing with is going to be immediately overcome and you're going to be pulled out of the situation. It does not matter that how, how long you have been in the wilderness season of your life or the desert season of your life. God was going to strengthen you to go through it because his eyes are looking across the whole world to, with the intention of adding strength to the people who are committed to him. A whole nother challenge sparks up in my mind after reading that. It makes me go, ooh, I gotta love him with my whole heart and mind because that's the only way I know that I'm committed. And if that's who he's strengthening, the committed ones, whew, I wanna be strengthened by the God who has all power. Then, at the end of Asa's life, this is one of the reasons I was talking earlier about if you're an older person, don't grow weary in doing the right thing. Look at this. Look what Asa does. Second Chronicles 16, 12. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa developed a serious foot disease. Yet even with the severity of his disease, he did not seek the Lord's help, but turned only to his physicians. Matt, are you telling me if I'm sick, I don't go to the doctor? No. Matt, are you telling me that if I, if I broke my ankle, I should wait 48 hours to see if God's going to heal it before I put the cast on? No. I am telling you that for every major decision of your life, ask God the direction he wants you to go first. Here's a simple prayer. 
that I have prayed many times that will do you very well. God, I think I should go in this direction. If it's the wrong thing, will you close the door, let the opportunity dry up, let the whole thing fall apart? And if not, can you open up the, and if I'm not supposed to go that way, can you show me the right way to go? Because I'm going to go this way because I think it's right, but I'm still a man. I'm still a human being. Can you direct me, Spirit of God, this is the right thing to do? Or if it's not, just confirm it along the way. Like something happens and be like, oh, I am supposed to be going this way. And I tell you that the things that I was absolutely sure I was supposed to do, there have been moments those things have dried up the next day. And then some of the things I didn't know I was supposed to do, an opportunity showed up and I thought, oh, I didn't even realize that. But that door shut. I thought I was supposed to do that. I just asked God to open the door. Here it is. I'm going to walk through it. Application number nine. This is something I took away from that passage right there. The people we admire for how they follow Jesus are still human. Matt, you don't know my old youth pastor. That dude changed my life. He's a man. Man, I love the way that this person teaches online, that he, 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 he breaks it down where I can understand some of these things about the Bible, and do that guy, everybody should listen to that guy. That's awesome. I'm glad God's using his work. He's a man. You do not know what this woman did for me. She taught me how to pray. She taught me how to intercede. Awesome. She's a human being. Why are you so adamant about not letting me put those people on a pedestal? Because Israel wanted to be every, like everybody else, and they wanted a person to look to. Who's our leader? Who's the one taking us into the battle? Who's the one who shows up and then everybody's afraid because they see that guy on a chariot? Who's the one who's, that, that we're putting out there? Is This is our champion. This is our guy that's leading us. We want that kind of person. I want that guy to teach me. I want that lady to direct me. I want that person to show me which way to go. I need that televangelist to pray for me. I need to send money into this place because they're going to bless me. I want all of this to happen because I want a guy to, that I can touch and see and God is saying do not do that because it ends badly every time Matt what if I look up to you I'm a man what if I look up to Nina there's a lot of people that do she's just a woman not saying you can't take principles not saying you can't take a heart of obedience or worship, you cannot put your trust into a person because they are that a person. The way this runs as people of God is it's him. And we have one mediator and one shepherd, and his name is Jesus. And do me a favor, do not put me in the crosshairs of thinking, Matt's going to be the one to tell me what God's saying to me today. I am not your mediator. I'm a teacher. I'm an under-shepherd. I'm someone that's supposed to come and protect the flock in a whole bunch of different ways, but I am not your mediator. You need to look at him. Matt, 
what did you do to screw up this bad that you don't want people to look at you? <laughs> I learned the hard way. Because as a young man, I looked at a man and was desperately, desperately hurt when he acted like one. And then I left and thought, I just got to find the right guy. and found another one. Had a good long run with that one. And then he acted like a man. A little man, but he acted like a man. <clears throat> then I found another one who I was looking at at the same time, and he acted like a man. And I thought, I cannot find the right person to follow, to be my leader, to be that king. So I'm going to become that myself. And God said, no, you're not. Why? Because you're going to act like a man. That song that we sing here. All of my hope, all of my trust is in the name of Jesus. It needs to stay there. Every time. And if you keep your focus on him, not wander off, you're going to find that when you look for him, you're going to find him. And when you screw up, there's going to be grace for you. And when you wander off, he's not going to leave you. And when you roll with him and say, I don't care what everybody else is doing, I'm staying with you, he says, I'm going to stay with those who have committed to me. And if you're going through a hard time, you, he looks for the, over the whole world to find the ones he can strengthen. And all of those life applications are true 2,900 years ago when this happened, 920-some years before Christ was born all the way to today. There's a passage in here that if we were trying to superimpose our own belief system on the scripture, we could have looked at and thought, oh, there was one where the, the, the prophet tells Asa, um, everything you put your hands to is gonna be rewarded. We could cut out the whole thing and be like, guys, I'm gonna be rich. My business is going to blow up. I just read it in the Bible. Everything I put my hands to, he ain't talking to you. Talking to Asa. So don't put ourself on it. Let's take the truth from it. Because the truth is the same yesterday, today, and forever. My hope is that with this little bit of instruction, this little bit of walking through a Old Testament passage and showing how we can take these, the applications, the, the lessons that are involved there and apply them to our life without having to throw ourselves into the story, that it will revolutionize the way you interact with God's word. Because when you take out those principles and put them to action, your sword of the spirit is very sharp. So.
So, I'm going to ask a question. What is the Spirit of God saying to you through this message? Maddie just flat out telling me I need to read the Bible. That could be it. It's telling me that I've been kind of glancing over this thing and I've been putting myself into the scripture. It's easy to do, especially in our culture, because a lot of the larger name ministers out there use this tactic to try to, because they want to help people. It just doesn't work. You might think, man, I need to go back and reread some of the stories that I think I know. Yes, because it'll blow your mind what you missed. 